Welcome to Inside Iowa, heard on this and all Cumulus Des Moines stations. The Iowa Department of Public Health, our guest today on the Inside Iowa show, talking with Kevin Gabbert, talking about, uh, I guess, is it opioids in general, or do we specify the opioid addiction we always hear about? Opioids in general. Because I thought Kevin would be a really good guest today. We hear about it all the time, Kevin. You hear about it, it, it not just on, in the state of Iowa, but nationally. Is that correct? That's correct. So I thought it would be a good show to educate everybody. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was always talking about methamphetamine. Right. And uh, it's changed, especially the last two or three years here in Iowa. I think that people have a picture in their mind of who they think these people are. Right. And so when you're talking about, for example, opioids, uh, people think, you know, heroin users, people that have been lifelong drug users. But what they don't think about is that mom that suffers from migraine headaches, uh, the dad that suffers from chronic back pain, the young athlete who gets hurt you know, in in a game. And eventually what happens, you know, in some cases is that, you know, individuals are prescribed, you know, a medication to address those issues. And quite often uh, what we have been seeing is that uh, the go-to tends to be an opioid-based medication. What happens is that eventually individuals, when they use the medication, they'll develop a tolerance or they can develop a tolerance. And then that's where we start to see dependency. And in some cases, that dependency turns to addiction, meaning uh, the, the medication is no longer available to them. And so then they look to other alternatives to be able to obtain uh, the medication or obtain something similar to the medication, things like heroin. Is that the difference, Kevin, between um, what you said, like an addiction and a dependency? I mean, there, there is a difference? There is. Dependency is physical. So prolonged exposure to a medication uh, like an opioid, uh, dependency is just naturally going to uh, develop. And what happens is that the body begins to expect that medication to be there. And when you take it away, that's when you start start to experience withdrawal symptoms, you know, the nausea, the headaches, and that kind of stuff. Imagine, you know, a a flu-like type of symptom. Addiction is a set of behaviors, and so it's how am I continuing to address or how am I continuing to deal with my dependency? So the dependency comes first, and then the addiction. So with the addiction, it's, you know, how am I continuing to get my needs met? Am I looking to obtain substances illegally? Am I looking to substitute another uh, chemical that's going to give me a similar effect to the one that, you know, I was previously using? Uh, For some people, it may be, you know, going through medicine cabinets of family members. It may be purchasing, you know, the substances from somebody on the street or a family member or a friend that they know that may have a surplus supply. Interesting and and, and probably has a lot to do with how much time you spend thinking about where you're going to get it next, right? Absolutely. So that preoccupation and planning is a, a key sign of an addiction. It's interesting because there are so many addictions out there that it's hard for anybody to understand another person's unless they've gone through it themselves, isn't it? You're absolutely right. It, it's easy to say, you know, this is, you know, a, a problem of, you know, a lack of will. Uh, but when you're talking about substances specifically like opioids, uh, it's a whole different ball game. And one of the reasons being is that because we know from prolonged exposure in the brain uh, opioids, you know, create uh, or, or can have the, the potential to create, I guess, a permanent lack of uh, a lack of neurotransmitters uh, to be developed within the brain. Uh, and so what happens, and I, I don't like to use the term brain damage, but it creates a deficiency that in some cases can be long term. And so what happens is you have individuals that are no longer able to feel those normal feelings of joy, happiness, uh, and content, uh, and so they look to substances to help provide that. Uh, and when you take the opioid away, people think, okay, great, just quit cold turkey, and you're not going to have those problems, and you'll start feeling better. 
Uh, but what we've seen, though, is that in some cases, those levels don't get restored in the brain. And so that's where we look at things like medication-assisted treatment uh, to help offset or to help address those issues. Interesting. It really is because it's, it's, it seems like life and drugs in general, including the drugs that are supposed to help you, it's still always a constant learning process. You know what I mean? It almost seems like an ongoing experiment because, I mean, when you talk about the opioid addiction, uh, the, the, the problem, the epidemic, whatever it is they're, t- they're calling it, I mean, a lot of, I mean, talking all walks of life here. Absolutely. And how we got here, you know, is a whole nother ball game too. There's been a lot of finger pointing in regards to, uh, you know, over-prescribing. But, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of activities that led up to that, you know, including uh, advertising and uh, aggressive marketing by, you know, pharmaceutical companies and uh, just kind of the way that physicians were approached and how they should be, be treating pain. Can I ask you something, Kevin? Yeah. How long have you been with the Iowa Department of Public Health? I've been with the Department of Public Health for about 10 years now. Uh, started off uh, as a project director for a grant called Access to Recovery, helping to meet needs of individuals in recovery, uh, providing recovery support services. Uh, but for the last two years, I've been focusing more uh, on opioids. That was actually going to be my question. How, how has your job evolved in over the 10 years you have seen the wave of the different what, what, what do you call them, the, the, the different problems, uh, you know, the, 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 you've, you've been around when it was methamphetamine? Right. So, yeah, for 15 years prior to my uh, coming to the Department of Public Health, I worked as a clinician, so providing substance use disorder and mental health therapy, uh, and so dealt with firsthand uh, the methamphetamine issue in our state, uh, providing services uh, and seeing how that flow or how that crisis kind of started uh, peaked and, and then subsided. Uh, but we're now seeing uh, a significant increase in methamphetamine usage again, in addition to the opioid issue that we're addressing. Isn't that interesting? That was, was like, I was going to say that because it's not like that's gone away. No, it, it, you know, it had for, for a period of time, uh, you know, it had declined significantly uh, to the point where we didn't, you know, continue to focus on that. Uh, but over the course of the past three years or so, uh, we've seen a significant increase. Uh, and when we're looking at IV drug usage, uh, IV drug usage is uh, more prominent with methamphetamine use than it is for opioids at this time. So if you're just tuning into the Inside Iowa Show, Kevin Gabbert with the Iowa Department of Public Health, our guest today, we're talking about opioids. I kept calling him the resident expert there. He says he tries. <laughs> yeah. So how does that affect the well, how does the Iowa Department of Public Health get involved? Well, we've been trying to do a variety of things. Uh, we've been approaching it from several fronts. Uh, for example, uh, prevention, you know, looking at what can we do to help, you know, prevent the issue from just occurring in the first place, or at least educating individuals in regards to, uh, to, to what's taking place. And so we've done that through a variety of things like uh, TV commercials. Uh, there's uh, a commercial that we had uh, over the course of the past few months uh, on overdose and reverse and where it starts off with uh, a, a young woman who's experiencing an overdose uh, and it traces the steps back and shows that she originally procured the, the medications from the family medicine cabinet. Mm. Uh, we developed brochures on uh, recognizing overdose and how to respond to overdose, uh, administering uh, chemicals like naloxone to help reverse those uh, overdoses from occurring or from, from the, uh, the effects of the overdose. 
uh, we've developed a patient opioid brochure, just kind of an informational brochure on what you should know if you're taking an opioid or if you have a family member that's uh, taking opioids as well. Uh, and so other things that we've done is, you know, we developed an opioid initiatives report card uh, to pre- present to legislature talking about here are some promising practices that we as a state could be taking, uh, but unfortunately these are some areas that we're not, you know, following it through on those things or those activities. Uh, and so we've uh, helped to uh, address what are some of the needs that our state needs to take uh, in addition, we've been expanding treatment services. Uh, medication-assisted treatment, you know, is the uh, the primary or is is the the most beneficial approach to addressing addressing opioid use disorder. And so, looking at what we can do to recruit additional providers to offer those services, uh, prescribers especially that can offer substances like buprenorphine or Suboxone. Is that because uh, that kind of helps to just kind of slowly even things back out? It does. So, so medication-assisted treatment, uh, there, there's a couple different approaches. Uh, there's an opioid agonist, which uses an opioid, uh, but a, an opioid that doesn't provide the extreme highs and lows of like substances like heroin or uh, illicit fentanyl. Uh, and so it just, it does, it kind of just evens out uh, where that individual should be and provides kind of that stability, helps reduce cravings, uh, and helps fight off withdrawal symptoms. Uh, the other uh, approach is the opioid antagonist, and that's uh, substances like naltrexone or Vivitrol. And what that does is that just blocks the opioid receptor sites from experiencing or from being able to accept any opioids. So basically, if a person would use an opioid and they're taking an antagonist, they would feel no effects from that substance. Does it say on the bottles when people are prescribed their medications, and I'm sure, and, I'm, and, and the doctors tell them, I mean, it doesn't say opioid on the bottle, does it? Or, I mean, does, or does it? It doesn't, usually. Uh, typically, you'll see things like, it'll say, uh, hydromorphone, uh, oxycodone, uh, those types of hydrocodone. Right. Uh, you know, so those sometimes people might not see. even know. Exactly. Right. So there's, there's the... Uh, you know the, the the trade names, or there's the you know the actual names uh, that the manufacturer uses, and then there's also the generic terminology. That's where people, Kevin, could actually you know be a little more proactive in what's being prescribed to them too, just knowing and making sure that when they are given the directions that they read them. You know, we all we all get that big sheet when we get a prescription, but how many take the time? You know, so those are things we could do for ourselves, I suppose. Absolutely. So as we start to wrap up the show, uh, tell us more things than that we could do to educate ourselves. I think yeah, the thing that you can do is uh, if you have questions about the medications that you're taking, uh, feel free to ask your physician or your prescriber in regards to that. If you still don't uh, feel like you've been provided the information that you're looking for, uh, ask your pharmacist. You know, pharmacists are a wealth of knowledge in regards to uh, addressing opioids or addressing any uh, medication-related issue. Uh, beyond that, you know, if uh, you're if you experience an injury, uh, and when you're again going back to meeting or talking with your physician, uh, and they look to prescribe an opioid for you, question, you know, is it necessary that I receive an opioid? Uh, we have this kind of um, misperception that pain relief means pain-free. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at, you know, if someone's asked to rate your pain on a level or a scale of 1 to 10 and you say it's an 8, and by receiving a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or ibuprofen and that takes it down to a 3 or a 4, you know, that's success. You know, that's progress. And if we can look at not having to introduce an opioid, all the better off that person's going to be in the long run. 
is that something that, like, say someone who has now, you know, they're, they're, they, they were prescribed an, an opioid prescription and they're, they're feeling better, they're weaning off, then what do they go to? Would that be more like a, a, a Tylenol and aspirin type? From It can be a Tylenol, aspirin. It can also be alternatives to medications in general. So things like yoga, things like, ah. uh, you know, looking at chiropractic care, mm-hmm. massage, acupuncture. Uh, there's a lot of research to show the benefits of those types of approaches, uh, and especially when you look in comparison long-term to those approaches versus opioids, quite often there's little to no difference between the two approaches. You know, and, you, and then you don't run the risk of developing dependency or an addiction uh, if you're looking at long-term, both of these approaches provide similar results. So it's interesting, too, what you said, and it is just like us as humans, is that, like you said, you know, it doesn't mean no pain at all. It's, it, it's better, but you, you, we want everything it's to stop. Correct. <laughs> we want perfection. <laughs> right. Do you have any email, or not emails, but um, uh, websites, uh, numbers, anything like that people can, can contact or go to? We do. Uh, IDPH has a, a new website uh, that we have called Your Life Iowa. Uh, and if you go to Your Life Iowa, it's going to have uh, a lot of different information addressing not only opioids, but substances in general. And that's yourlifeiowa.org. Okay, excellent. And um, uh, any any final comments? We don't have a lot of time, but you had mentioned CDC guidelines, but I'm sure it's too late to get into that, isn't it? Well, the CDC guidelines were just kind of a, a prescribing uh, suggestions for individuals that are... Uh, Prescribing uh, those types of medications, prescribing an opioid, uh, you know, we we are concerned that uh, there's been an overprescribing. Uh, but another concern is that you know we're looking at uh, the number of, of days of medications uh, are prescribed. Uh, so what's the length of the prescription? Uh, the CDC outlines you know specific approaches uh, and suggestions in regards to uh, three to five days for an acute injury. Uh, talks about morphine milligram equivalents. What are uh, you know what's the total number that uh, an individual uh, should stay under, uh, and then looks at what are the risks if they do exceed that number of morphine milligram equivalents. Uh, and, and looking at things like respiratory depression, you know, is this person uh, a potential candidate for experiencing uh, an opioid overdose, meaning respiratory depression as right. a result of uh, their ongoing use. Right. Well, it's good to know that. Because, we, again, we see the commercials, but knowing that the people of the power are actually trying to do something about it. Right. Well, Kevin Gabbert has been our guest today with the Iowa Department of Public Health. It's been a very good show. I appreciate you talking. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Inside Iowa. Heard on this and all Cumulus Des Moines stations.